This episode of The Accessible Stall is brought to you by the National COVID-19 Resiliency Network. Did you know that people with intellectual and developmental disabilities are two and a half times more likely to be diagnosed with COVID-19 than the general population? The National COVID-19 Resiliency Network has up-to-date, trusted information about vaccines, testing, masking, medical care, and transportation. There's even a support finder tool, so you can easily find neighborhood resources near you. Their goal is to provide resources that can make a difference by helping all people to prevent COVID, find treatments for COVID, and navigate the effects of COVID on their communities. So visit covid-resources.org or call 877-904-5097. The National COVID-19 Resiliency Network is an initiative of the Morehouse School of Medicine. Hi, I'm Emily Ladeau. And I'm Kyle Keshadorian. And you're listening to another episode of The Accessible Stall. What are we going to talk about today, Emily? I can guess. Well, we were planning on talking about COVID originally because this episode has a COVID-related sponsorship. And then I went and got COVID. <laughs> you did what? Oopsie. I got to say, I got to say, Emily, I, I really admire your commitment to the uh, research and development of topics here on the show. I did not go and get COVID for this, but you. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I am a method actor. I appreciate someone noticing. Um, Here's the deal. I'm still having trouble breathing like a person. So this episode, I have no idea how long it's going to be. I have no idea how long I'm actually going to be able to talk at people, but I do have COVID. That is the truth. And I think we just need to do kind of a, where are we at in this pandemic update, which I am now even more passionate about seeing as how COVID is terrible in case you needed someone else to tell you that. I mean, I know you're kind of being a little bit funny because like that's all anyone's been saying for the past two and a half years. But I do think there is actually some utility in someone, you know, or someone you trust getting it. Obviously, like I don't want anyone to get it and I certainly don't want anything bad to happen to them. But like when it's an issue that like you can see and feel because someone in your life has it, it becomes a lot more real to you rather than just some like, you know, invisible disease. I actually do think that's true. And it's the mentality that I've been noticing a lot. People are saying, oh, well, it, it hasn't affected me personally. And I guess I don't really care because it hasn't really affected my loved ones. So I'm just going to ignore it. And then you have the people who are saying, whoa, I had it. And lots of people that I love had it. And it's not a joke. And I feel very lucky that it's been almost two and a half years now and I got it at a time when there's so much available to treat it, but this is still scary. I, I almost want to like interview you about it. Like I just, what's it like? Cause that's the thing for me, like obviously COVID is very serious, but like it it has it has hit my family, not my immediate family, but my extended family, which is worse because you know they're all older. But I I have avoided it, and I just part of me is very curious, and I know the answer is nothing good, you know. But I don't I'll know. take the interview. 
Um, to be honest with you, I initially debated even saying that I had COVID at all because I really felt like it was this moral failing and I felt like I had personally done something wrong even though I'm vaccinated, I'm boosted, I don't make poor life choices generally speaking. Sometimes I guess I do. I don't know. You know. But are you twice boosted? I'm not. Oh, see me neither. That that was it. There you go. (laughs) So here's the thing. The booster, booster number four is technically available for people who I think are over 50. But me being disabled and not technically immunocompromised per se, but certainly at higher risk, I asked my doctor if I should get that fourth shot and she said no and wait. And I think waiting was a mistake and I think I should have gotten it, but we will never know, will we? So in regard to what COVID is like, I think because I was vaxxed and boosted, not as bad as it could have been. I always have... Uh, respiratory issues when I get sick and I tested positive well over 10 days ago when we're recording this. I think I'm negative now, but the symptoms, especially in my chest are lingering and it feels like I have a horse sitting on my chest. That sounds awful. So like when it was in its really bad initial phase, I had this feeling that I had swallowed a flaming sword. Uh, I had a fever. My nose was really, really stuffy. I was super congested. I was coughing. I was short of breath. I was exhausted. And now I'm just (laughs) exhausted and breathing is hard. Oh, is that all? Just exhausted and breathing is hard? That's all. That's all. No big deal. Like, I used to be able to do 30 minutes of relatively high-impact cardio each day, which was my routine. I loved having sort of a streak of exercise. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, my my streak's kind of broken again. (laughs) Um, No. I mean, it's a good reason, but still, no. I know you knew about my streak, so you know I'm very sad. Yeah, I did. That as soon as you said hands, as soon as you said cardio, I was like, oh man, I know where this is going. The last time I broke my streak, I was at 290 days, and it was because I broke my leg. Oh no, 296 days, and it was because I broke my leg. And I spent all year working back up to it. This month is the anniversary of breaking my leg. I got sick, and now I ruined my streak again. God, what's going to happen next year, man? You got to mark this month off on your calendar. You can't get to block yourself in your bedroom or something. I'm skipping June. Uh, but now 10 minutes of exercise that I did about five hours ago has left me feeling like I'm an 80-year-old smoker who ran a marathon. <laughs> so. Is that what you are under that mask of yours, Emily? It's, it's quite possible. But to be fair, like, I'm always a grandmother. This is not new. Now I'm just breathing like one, too. Right. 
So you finally got the uh, physical aesthetic to match you. Was that ableist? There's something ableist in there. I'm sorry. I'm I'm too tired to unpack that. I will say, like, this is tangentially ableist. I don't know how to explain this, but like, when the symptoms that happen when you have COVID, you read them and you think, I always thought like that really sucks, but I'm relatively healthy and it probably won't kill me, so I'll probably be okay. But then when I would read about long COVID and the potential problems there where you would have like memory issues or just constant problems breathing or you would lose your taste for either an extended period of time or permanently or something like that, like that scared me way more than actually like acute COVID. I don't know if that's ableist either, but it, it still does. Like I'm less worried about, I mean, I'm not, not taking it seriously, but I'm less worried about the actual disease and much more worried about like what it will do after it's gone or what it will have done to me. Yeah, it leaves some wreckage in its wake to be sure. And I think that's the part that people actually need to take more seriously is that this isn't just something that pops up like the common cold and goes away. I mean, if that is what happened for you, then I truly am happy that that's all that happened, the general you. And if it went in the other extreme and you lost someone to this, I'm, I'm, I don't have words. I'm so sorry. Like, I just hate that for you that people did not take this seriously. And this is where we are. And this is where we still are. And at this point, people are like, I'm done and I'm over it. And it's still knocking down people that I know, like bowling pins. You know, and I think that's really an important point. We did an episode on COVID about two years ago. And I don't remember what we said. (laughs) But what I do remember is that I at least, and I think you too, had hope that in the future, this would be gone or a funny memory. Um, it is still here. And I think we, the general we, um, sort of got bored of it and have decided that it's not going to affect our lives anymore, even though it is still very real, it is still very much out there, and it is still very serious. I don't really remember the point I was trying to make, but like, it's just like we decided one day, all right, everybody, we did it. COVID's over. And it's not. I think that's exactly what happened. And I think it's become a mind over matter situation, or at least people think it's mind over matter, but oh no, it's still very real. And I think the other important thing that I should note is not only am I fully vaccinated, but I also had quick access to Paxlovid, the antiviral medication. Oh, they have one of those now? Yeah. Oh, sweet. That's, That's great. Relatively new. And it's not actually FDA approved. It is FDA approved for emergency use. Right. So just like the COVID vaccines were back in December or January of like 2021, which doesn't mean that they're like unsafe. It just means that you're skipping part of the red tape process in order to prevent an emergency. These are things that have been focus tested round over round again and are safe it's just you're cutting through the red tape temporarily they will still get full approval and the reason i'm hammering that in is because one that was a big complaint about the vaccines from otherwise well-meaning people that didn't know and it's also the common um complaint used by like anti-vaxxers who do know and don't care 
So I just want to clarify, like, that's not what it sounds like it means. I'm glad you said that. It's so weird, though, because I'm not anti-vax between, but I am not anti-vax by any stretch of the imagination. And as soon as that vaccine was ready and available to me, I was like, blow me up, baby. But when the doctor prescribed me Paxlovid, I was like, oh, what's this going to do to my body? And then I was like, girl, get a grip. I was so like, <laughs> I was so like, <laughs> I remember when the vaccine, because I was, I am, I felt so guilty about this. I was one of the first set of people in my state to get vaccinated. And it's because of I where I that. work. And I I went to, I took an Uber to my office and and the guy was like oh my god you're getting vaccinated like aren't you worried it's like dude no (laughs) aren't you worried about what it's going to do to your body it's like i mean it's new but like not any more worried than i am about what covid's going to do man i think i'd rather take my chances and like it's funny well that was why i was like okay get over yourself take the paxlovid because i didn't want to stick around to find out what covid was going to do to me if i didn't take it And luckily, I did not have terrible side effects. There are definitely side effects from it. Uh, But for me, the worst one that I had was actually a nasty taste in my mouth, which is one of the most common side effects that's been described for the medication. Uh, It's a combination of grapefruit and soap and like pennies what the like, hell? It's disgusting. It's horrible. It's like it's like soapy, sour, metallic. That is so weird. Awful. But other than that, I didn't really have side effects. But with Paxlovid, there's a risk of rebounding after a couple of days. And I don't think I rebounded. But at this point, the problems that I'm having are now being treated with an inhaler and oral steroids and preventative antibiotics. I'm just like a fun festival of medication at this point. Look at you, you little Petri dish. (laughs) So, y'all, COVID is not over. I just, I'm so tired of saying that. But the thing is, like, we've been saying that. So now I'm just tired and sick. Yes, it's it's exhausting. And and like for you, it's literally exhausting. Like, look, I'll admit, OK, I don't wear my mask everywhere anymore. I don't wear it in the lobby of my apartment anymore. But if I'm inside and there's like still like if I'm shoulder to shoulder with somebody with people, like if I'm in a closed area, yeah, I wear one. I carry one with me everywhere. It's not hard to do now. And it wasn't back two years ago either. Like, I, I just don't get it. I understand it less now. Now, at least we know Now at least we have two years of data to back up everything that we were suspicious of. I understand it and I don't. I understand that people are tired of feeling like their lives are being interfered with. But let me tell you something. You're going to really feel like your life is being interfered with if you get COVID. I usually get kind of mad when I find like a meme or a saying or quote that's going around Facebook to be relevant to my life (laughs) or like something that my mom sends me uh, because it just feels really cliche. But there was a quote that if you don't make time for your wellness, you will be forced to make time for your illness. And yeah, that's true. 
that's real. I, I don't know what to do with that other than to say, trust your mama. I will use that as a quick segue to our sponsor. Whether you have an intellectual or developmental disability or you're a caretaker, healthcare provider, friend, or family member of someone with an intellectual or developmental disability, you can find trusted information at covid-resources.org. You'll find information on convenient neighborhood resources for vaccination, testing, medical care, and even transportation, brought to you by the National COVID-19 Resiliency Network. They want to help all people to prevent COVID, find treatments for COVID, and navigate the effects of COVID on our communities. So visit covid-resources.org or call 877-904-5097. The National COVID-19 Resiliency Network is an initiative of the Morehouse School of Medicine. It just sums it all up, doesn't it? It feels very ironic to me that this episode is sponsored by the National COVID-19 Resiliency Network. I mean, I know it seems like we planned this with timing. We did not, but... No, Emily didn't go catch COVID just for (laughs) (laughs) I can't help but feel like I wish that more people knew that there were resources out there. And that also raises the question, knowing that the resources are out there, does that mean that you're using them? Does that mean that you're mindful of them? I would genuinely like to know, are people actively seeking out resources? Do they even know that they exist? I mean, I have a handful that I know through like work and my like I, I, I was sort of collecting a list of resources back in March of 2020, and they were mostly just maps of cases when it was almost, and I say this word very loosely, fun to watch the numbers go up and see where COVID was next because it was still, oh, look at that. It's in this country now. And then it came here and it was like, oh, oh. <laughs> you know, I feel like I don't know that I would ever use the word fun, except that I have it. Yeah, it wasn't fun, fun, but it was just cool to look at a map and like see the case numbers. And now that same activity is extremely depressing. And no longer interesting. It's like that game Plague. Yes. Oh, my God. It is exactly like that game Plague. Which I love that game. Yeah, you should all play it if you haven't. I mean, it's depressing to play it now, but it's really it actually is very fun. I can't I cannot even wrap my mind around using the word fun. I don't even know. Like, no, it, it, it wasn't fun. fun it, it, it was honestly that it was very interesting. It was a novel virus and it was very interesting to see it spread until it got here and then it was like oh okay this is real this is like actually real i remember like laughing at my mom she she the first day she heard about the 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 novel pneumonia in china on the new york times she went out to the hardware store and and bought out all the n95 masks and we were all like mom you're a nut get out of here you silly she was absolutely right she was 100 percent right anyway to answer your question about do people know if there's resources out there I think they know that there are some, but I think the problem with a lot of COVID resources is that they're written by doctors for doctors. Like even the CDC website is kind of extremely hard to navigate and very hard to understand. And that is why uh, resources like the people who have sponsored this episode, I think, need to exist because their website is very easy to understand and very easy to navigate. And I do wish that all of them were, uh, but unfortunately, I think the reason there are so many resources is because the official ones, as it were, are just very, like, esoteric. 
they're not in plain enough and accessible enough language. And I think that's where you lose people. Mm -hmm. And when there's a difference too, between plain language and accessible language and talking down to people. And I think that it was hard to strike that balance, especially early on. And so I think that a lot of people felt a mix of like, this is not for me slash you're being condescending. And I just think that the fact that information about COVID and access to resources was something that kind of got bungled so early on is now what's created in part this lingering pandemic because people weren't properly educated initially. And on the one hand, I kind of understand because people were scrambling to create resources at the beginning when it was still this new and and novel thing. And now we have the resources. And at this point, people are like, well, (laughs) I'm tired of it. Yeah, they don't care. They're so jaded, right? They're still like, oh, you have a code resource? Okay, cool, whatever. Like they don't. But that's why I'm glad that the National COVID-19 Resiliency Network is sponsoring us because I know for a fact that disabled people especially have not had strong access to resources. Mm -hmm. And my hope is that if we continue to educate, if even one person finds this helpful, if this protects the health or helps dare I say, save the life of one person because they've had access to this, truly worth everything. Absolutely. 100%. And the other thing too is like, even among the good COVID resources, they are, a lot of them are focused on things that matter, but ultimately are not helpful to people like you and me. So for example, I love COVID Act now. They're a great resource for things like case numbers, right? But like, who cares about case numbers if all you want to know is where to get a vaccine or if masks are sold out or how can I get to somewhere where there's a vaccine? You know what I mean? Like, it's very useful information, but it's not helpful for you unless that is what you're looking for. I mean, for me, I do find it somewhat interesting to know when the numbers are going back up. And it was actually knowing that the numbers were going back up, especially in my area, that caused me to do some changing of plans. But as we see, that backfired anyway. Um, But New York, I have always felt, is like the, the sign of things to come for the rest of the country. So when I see the numbers going up, I'm like, oh, boy. But yeah, but other than that, I mean, for me, I was like, where do I find reliable masks? And, you know, how do I get access to Paxlovid? I didn't know that it was easy enough to, like, call my doctor and just get a prescription. By the way, if you if you I know it's too late for you having had COVID, but if anyone wants a good uh, place to buy masks, Honeywell makes uh, N95 masks in packs of 50 and they sell them at what is a reasonable price. Not a good price, but it, it's just a hair over a dollar per mask, um, which is should be criminal, uh, but it's a lot better than other options out there. And they're American made and, and certified and all very good. This is reminding me to double check where I got the masks that I got, because you know what? 
masks are not actually the easiest for me to put on. So yeah, right? I have to sense. find ones that work for me. I got them from a brand called Evolve Together. They're Ooh. KN95s and uh, they fit my face well. I have a very odd shaped face is what wearing N95 masks have taught me. Like, I don't think it's weird, but like my nose is very big. Like, I knew that about myself, but like <laughs> masks do not fit my giant nose. <laughs> I mean, they, they, I can find some that do and the ones I mentioned do, but it's not, you know, I don't have like a normal face. Do any of us, but <laughs> there are I, people I who, who can wear a mask off the shelf and be like, yeah, that'll protect me. I'm not one of them. Sounds like you're not either. No, I finally found a kind that does work for me. They're called Boat Shape, I think. And they're pretty flexible and they're comfortable. Um, It's hard for me to get the ear loops on. And I remember probably like well over a year ago, a friend of mine tried to make a little headband thing that I could attach the mask to, to make it easier for me. But turns out it made it harder because I don't have very good dexterity. So let's just say I've been getting a lot of uh, occupational therapy. (laughs) Me too. Oh my God. (laughs) I, after two years to this day, still cannot put on my mask without taking off my glasses. If I try to put on my mask first, or if I, if I put it on already wearing glasses, it, it just doesn't work. I miss an ear. It gets caught under somehow. Like it's just, I don't understand everyone who does it. It's like a magic trick to me. It's also funny because you were mentioning you have a very big nose and I have a very small nose. You do. So I feel like there's no space between my nose and my glasses. And when I'm putting the mask on, my mask is like halfway under my glasses. I don't even know. But See, you know but what? I, I'm not complaining. Wear your mask. Yeah, no, no. This is not <laughs> – people like – oh, man. I, I just I just like not being sick. It's like my favorite way to be. And so I don't, I, I just don't get it. It's two years. How do you not take this seriously? I know no one listening. I know you all take it seriously, but like indulge me in this collective thought experiment. How after two years do you still not get it? Self-interest, not caring. Who's self-interest? Isn't it your self-interest to not die? Isn't that like a common thing for most yeah. people is to not want to die? Like I don't. You would think. I, I, I mean, I know but, what you're saying, and I hate that it's true, but it's just, it's unreal. I got a weird message on LinkedIn, so out of the blue, no context, and it was just asking me if I think that disabled people are bad at helping each other. Well, do you? <laughs> I think that disabled people have been trying to help each other because non-disabled people have been a little bit less interested in helping throughout yeah. this pandemic. And I'm sorry to make a broad sweeping generalization. Oh, no, but, but it was some – remember when – I don't I forget who it was. It was some higher up in, in some health department. And they were like, well, you know, vulnerable people will just – it Sorry, was Michelle Walensky. With that's who it was. Yes. Okay. I I'm glad you knew who I was talking about because I I remember that being a whole entire thing, a well deserved yeah. thing, by the way. She was literally like, 
Well, the good news is that this is only bad for people who are already not well. And, and we the bad news like, is if you're one Hello. of them, tough luck. So, yeah. And I, you know, hashtag not all non-disabled people. I get it. I really do. I know there are so many non-disabled people who were affected by this, who took this seriously and were affected anyway. I'm not playing the blame game at this point, but I am saying that I was already scared. And now that I've had it, still scared. Like, I don't magically think that this is going to go away. And also, for that matter, a lot of people are saying like, oh, you're through it now. Oh, you've survived it. Oh, you have the antibodies. And it's like, girl, I could get it again tomorrow, you know? Yeah, those antibodies, they're, they, they'll protect you for a while, but it's not like they announce when they're going away. The other thing that doesn't make sense to me, and knock on wood, knock on everything, my family, who I was around for all of this, my parents, got their fourth shot and did not get this from me. Good. Amazing. Like, I'm still terrified for them. And I don't want to say anything to jinx it. But on top of that, there's one person who I saw, who I know had COVID at the same time that I did. Because as I was in the urgent care getting my PCR test, she texted me and was like, I have COVID. And I had seen her safely. Uh, and she's fully vaccinated. Um so we're pretty sure that might be where we got it from. Either I got it from her or she got it from me. The other person that we were with, nothing. So this is a literal game of Russian roulette. Yep. And that's not a game I'm really willing to play anymore. I I wasn't willing to play it before. Now I'm just like, I'm going to Now that you've been forced to play it. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I'm going to keep living my life, but I'm going to keep masking. You know, people have suggested simple solutions here. And like, dude, I understand wearing a mask sucks. Like if you're one of those people that really don't like wearing it, like no no one likes it, man. You smell your own breath for three hours. It's not good. You breathe in the same recycled air for three hours or however long. It's not good. But like, didn't you like not getting a cold for the past two years? Or maybe you didn't mask, so like maybe you got one. But like I didn't because I was wearing a mask for the past year. That is wild to me. Yeah, that was the thing. I used to get sick every winter, man. It's so nice. I get sick all the time. And so when I first started not feeling well, I knew that there was other stuff going around at this point. So I was like, is this strep? Do I have a cold? And literally the the doctor at the urgent care was like, you know, I cleaned a ton of pollen off my car this morning. This could be allergies. And it was COVID. Yeah. I don't even really know what the point of this episode was, except for me to remind you that COVID is not a joke. And I guess if you're listening to this, you already know that. But what I really hope is that if you did have COVID, if you experienced it in any way, I just hope that you feel a little less alone because I know at first I thought about not saying anything but then when I finally did say something on social media on the one hand it kind of drives me bonkers when people do that because I was like 
uh, it just feels like, is this an attention grab? I don't really know. But no, it's not. It's literally being in solidarity and reminding people that this is very real and not over. I think it's important to do I, because it's so easy to forget in the day-to-day of life too. Like nothing about the world we live in right at this very second is like normal in any way. And I don't use normal in like the non-disabled way. I mean like stuff's not good right now. And we're all just pretending it is because we have to. And I think it's important that we get reminded that like, hey, stuff's not all right right now. And I don't mean to sound like a downer. I just mean don't forget because this is how things get fixed. And it's good to be in community and it's good to have that solidarity. And most importantly, it's good to know that there are places to turn for help when you need them. And I, for one, am a little bit running out of steam here because the breathing stitch is real. But I want to, as a final takeaway, just say, please stay safe. Yep. Get boosted. Get vaxxed. Um, wear your mask if you're in a place where you have to and wear a mask if you're in a place where they don't require it to because it still helps even if you're not forced to. And on that note, I am going to segue to our sponsor. Why are people with intellectual and developmental disabilities at greater risk for exposure to COVID-19? Why are they more likely to experience poorer COVID-19 health-related outcomes than the general population? Some factors include higher prevalence of pre-existing conditions, persistent healthcare disparities, and a greater likelihood of living in congregate settings. The National COVID-19 Resiliency Network can help by providing up-to-date, trusted information about vaccines, testing, masking, medical care, and even transportation. By providing these resources, they are working to prevent COVID, find treatments for COVID, and navigate the effects of COVID on our communities. So visit covid-resources.org or call 877-904-5097. The National COVID-19 Resiliency Network is an initiative of the Morehouse School of Medicine. And now I'm going to tell you that you look fabulous today. And this time, not only am I talking to our audience, I'm also talking to you, Emily, because this is a great look. Thank you, Kyle. If you could all see me right now, I'm kind of a hot mess. But when am I not? It's fine. Thanks so much for listening.